to all the undead ghouls and monsters. We are your horror hosts for tonight's Last Rites. I am your horror host, Brandon Brown, and always with me is my co-host, Juan Hernandez. And I just realized that we didn't do this in the beginning of the last podcast, but we did it at the end. We did it at the end, so, so it, yeah. it, it all works out. Not sure what happened there, but <laughs> anyways. So this is part two to a two-part podcast of our top ten lists. Uh, the top ten lists uh, from the last podcast were for my top ten, and today the top ten list is for Olin. So, yeah, these are, these are my top ten. So take it away. All right, so we're going to start uh, number 10. Uh, number 10 is a, a very uh, recent film, 2022, Smile. Uh, this one was not in the least uh, originally, but it sort of uh, made it in just uh, just in time. Nice. I don't have anything that's current on my top 10, um, so it's nice to see like uh, one of the current movies on someone's top 10. Yeah, oh yeah, um, this one, uh, this list actually... Uh, it's going to spend about 100 years, so uh, yeah, we have a little bit of everything here. Oh yeah, I do see that. Nice. Um, uh, this one was was, was uh, really cool. Uh, I watched it in theaters, sort of not knowing um, what it was. I, I went in there pretty blind. The only thing I knew was the marketing uh, things that they had going on, where they had people smiling at like different sporting events and doing this creepy smile. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, same here. I, I was kind of, what's going on? Yeah. But, but genius, genius marketing. It was it was very intriguing and uh, it really did get me into that uh, theater. Um, uh, I didn't know this uh, going in, obviously, but uh, I recently um, it was pointed out to me um, that this was based on a short film called Laura Hasn't Slept. I was able to see it was only um, eight minutes it's 11 minutes minus credits and stuff like that um, and yeah it, it kind of puts certain things into perspective and context uh, it explains a little bit uh, especially from the beginning of the movie uh, because the actors that plays Laura in the short film replaces her role uh, in Smile nice so. the thing that threw me off was uh the lead actress uh, is Susie Bacon, Kevin Bacon's daughter. Yeah. Which I did not even see that at first. And it wasn't until it was pointed out to me, and I was like, oh shit, that is her. Because <laughs> I just, she didn't look the same. I think the last time I saw her, uh, she was a little bit younger, so her looks were a little bit different. Yeah. And then in this movie, she, you know, she's more grown up looking. So I was just like, I see. like, who is this actress? Like, I know Susie Bacon's in it, but which one is she? So when I looked it up and saw that, you know, the main actress was her and I was just like, oh wow, I feel dumb. Yeah, I think the only other actor I recognized was uh, uh, Kyle Gallner. Uh, yeah. He was, in, he was mostly a TV actor, I think. Um, but he's the only one that I saw that I was like, okay, okay, I know who that guy is, but everybody else was unknown. The director um, was, was, was unknown to me. Uh, it really struck me some of the camera work that, that they were doing where they uh, they twist the camera and they, they, they flip. it's kind of like a those those uh, panoramic shots that you get from um, Kubrick and um, The Shining 
have those like weird like aerial sort of shots but then he would, he would flip them on their head to like give you like this sense of vertigo that it was just really well done i was really surprised uh, with this film so that's why i made my number 10. nice next up at number nine uh for me a classic now uh Shaun of the dead it, it, it honestly it should be higher up, but um, I don't know. Being a being more of a comedy than a, than a horror, I think. Uh, not that it brought it down, but um, it, it certainly it certainly put it in this peg to to to, to say. Um, yeah, this would if I had a top fifteen, this would be in that top fifteen yeah, along yeah. with The Shining. It's, it's, it's such a good movie in its own. Uh, I loved it. It's super, super fun. Uh, at, uh, Simon Pegg at his, at his peak. Just peak, peak Simon Pegg uh, and Nick Frost. Just them two were so good. The, they played off of each other so well. In yeah, they do. They, they, they do play off well each other. I mean, everything I've seen them in, it's just, they, it's like natural. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, a lot of really cool uh, callbacks and references to other horror movies, especially uh, Romero's uh, horror movies. Um, uh, Simon's uh, character, um, he has a mom uh, played by Penelope Wilton, and the mom is called Barbara. <laughs> so one of my uh, favorite uh, callbacks is when they, they have this whole plan when, uh, when they figure out that there's a, a zombie outbreak. And uh, they have this whole plan. They, they gotta go get his girlfriend, and he, he wants to include um, his mom. And um, the, the the thing that when 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 they, when they call her up on the phone, the, the the first thing that they say is, "Coming to get you, Barbara." Just like in the Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, and that's like uh, since this is also a, uh, a British uh, movie that the, some of the British tropes are is they do a lot of quick cut scenes so there's like you know there's that scene and it shows the scene of them getting the, the girlfriend and then the scene of them you know moving on to the next thing and the next thing um, and that's like that, that's one of the, the staples in like British comedy and in, in British films yeah, is that yeah. they have these these quick cuts and they, they piece them together real quick so Monty Python would do that a lot yeah, too, right? yeah, yeah. so as, as, they're, as they're telling the story uh, what they're going to be doing you know see all these quick cuts and it's really cool yeah um, the special effects just the, the whole story and, and uh, how, how, how it all it all uh, comes to an end um, all the jokes just everything everything about this movie um, makes it a classic I watch it every time yeah they have they like speaking of also the throwbacks is that uh, he had a TV show um, before this there was a lot of um, there's a lot of call outs to that um, as well so <clears throat> there was a, a who was her name? Liz is his girlfriend but uh, <coughs> was it Maggie? who uh does the girl remember they meet up with the girl and the like asking her how she's doing and oh yeah doing. oh yeah she's like the she's like the counterpart and uh martin freeman is actually in, in that group uh if you recognize him from the from the hobbit yeah yeah 
but she uh, spaced as the TV series. Um, so uh, she played his girlfriend in the TV series. So they kind of had a little band, like a little banter back and forth. Right, right. And like a, that was and, like, a, and like then, an inside joke. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of the, right? yeah, yeah, and a lot of the inside joke stuff that they're talking about was was based on that show, which is another show, uh, another thing that was written by Edgar Wright that had Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Right. And uh, pretty much almost the whole cast. Yeah, so that's why the key people. That's why the movie works so well, right? These people who had been working uh, around each other for a long time, and they just had like this rapport. Yeah, so anybody who's who's seen any of these, you know, would, would get it. I didn't understand it at first, and then I went back and watched Space, and I was like, ah, <laughs> I understand now. Yeah, yeah. And then this is also a uh, uh, part of a trilogy. They call it the Three Flavors of the Coronado. So the other two movies uh, were Hot Fuzz and uh, The World's End. Both really good movies, but for my money, Shadow of the Dead is the best one. Yeah, hands down. Kind of like a very, uh, how do you 
seeing like a very grim Dracula who's very like like in the beginning you can he is actually kind of like an English gentleman. He even helps uh, Jonathan Parker with his luggage and stuff like that. But then after that, once he turns into the monster and like they do the whole thing with the red eyes and the blood and the teeth and everything, he just like he's just like this force of nature, he's like this animal, you know? Yeah. That's what I like about it. But Peter Cushing just just brings such a really um, refreshing to me uh, performance. Just very calculating, very cold, but at the same time very intelligent, very wise. You know. And uh, another um, actor that uh, that I like uh, seeing in this one was uh, Michael Goff. Oh yeah, I'm so glad that you you said that because I was actually going to bring him up because I when I saw him was like man this guy looks really really familiar and yeah. then when i saw the name on who the actor was i was like holy shit that's alfred from the michael keaton batman yeah <laughs> but obviously a younger version and i was right. just like oh wow like it was yeah. so cool seeing him in a, in a different role yeah he was alfred for even on the schumacher movies wasn't he yep yeah yeah, yeah and so. alfred he was also alfred during the the commercials the any batman commercials that they made Right. He's the go-to guy. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense, right? Because well, he's, he's, he's English, and, uh, Alfred is English, and uh, all these actors are English. So yeah, um, yeah, uh, it was it was a real treat seeing all these actors um, all in one uh, uh, storyline that I really love. Even though, like you said, they took a lot of liberties. Where uh, they're basically all vampire hunters, you know. Yeah. Um, it was weird to hear that Jonathan Harker was a vampire hunter coming in. I was like, wow, really? Yeah. But, you know, like I said, it was still a good movie. Um, I just, I, I'm really one of those uh, purists that I just like when right. you're going to do something off a book, you know, you should keep it that way. Um, but, you know, they, they did a good job. Um, my one other complaint, uh, because this is the first of a horror fran- or hammer franchise, um, there was no nudity. And that's what yeah. horror... <laughs> I mean, hammer. I mean, that yeah, hammer. I keep saying horror. It's the H's. Um, and I know that sounds like retarded of me to say that, but that was basically what Hammer was known for. Uh, it was, uh, you know, the, the full frontal nudity for a lot of their, their women um, and their, their vampire characters. It was like the, the seductiveness and the lure, the allure you know, of them. Uh, but this one didn't have that. But still, uh, you know, good movie. Uh, from what I also read, that it, it produced eight sequels. And like you said, uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness was one of them. But that was the third sequel uh, to these. Mm-hmm. So there was Brides of Dracula in 1960, Dracula, Prince of Darkness in 66, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave in 68, Taste the Blood of Dracula in 70, Scars of Dracula in 70, Dracula AD in 72, the Satanic Rites of Dracula in 73, and The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires in 74. Had a lot of good themes going on here with Dracula. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've only seen one or two of these. As you really get into uh, watching all of the, uh, you know, tracking down, finding and watching uh, all of the the sequels, especially because of the way... uh, Christopher Lee dies in, in, in this first one uh, was a bit definitive. Uh, I mean, it was pretty gruesome. A little really cool, uh, even for the 
um, latter uh, 50s, uh, the, the special effects were actually really cool. Yeah, yeah they, they did, did that. a good job. You know, and Hammer films also uh, weren't just about the vampires, like for Dracula, but they also did other things like Frankenstein's monster uh, and the mummy. So they, they were trying to, they were trying to be like the British Universal, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So that's why it's my number eight. Cool. Number seven, uh, Halloween. Um, this, this. Um, this list might, might be a little bit, or this podcast might be a little bit shorter because uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of my faves uh, intersect with your faves. So uh, some of these movies we already talked about. Halloween, 1978. Um, what else can I say? Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, uh, the one thing that I really like about this movie, uh, uh, same as uh, in The Exorcist and even uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, is the music. The music for me is another character and without the music the movie wouldn't work as well. Yeah, yeah totally. And like I, I talked about it in my last podcast, uh, John Carpenter uh, scoring this uh, was just brilliant. You know, uh, not only writing it with Deborah Hill but then being the musician that he is and taking the liberties to you know, create the, the score for it and it's so simple but yet still uh, has resonance of Michael on the screen, and you get those uh, uh, those keyboards on there, or like every time uh, uh, some sort of suspenseful thing, you get that that uh, again like those keyboard uh, beats that that they do. Um, I mean, just the music it uh, really really adds. Uh, yeah, it, it builds it builds suspense. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's perfect. It's just a perfect score. My number seven. Uh, moving on to number six, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Toby Hooper, um, and um, this one is, uh, as you know, a couple of kids, few kids, uh, out out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they run into some real psychos and uh, a really uh, disturbing, uh, bloody things happen. It's a crazy family with like this weird um, uh, patriarch that they have, which I thought it was a corpse at first, but then it turns out he or it or whatever it is drinks blood, and it was just really weird and really disturbing. Lots of screaming, lots and lots of screaming in this one. Uh, <laughs> the the Leatherface, the, the the creature in this movie, um, very well portrayed, very scary and just disturbing, just very disturbing the whole thing. Um, I wanted to uh, ask you a question. Yeah. So, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is uh, 1974. Uh, Halloween is 1978. Both feature a, what we call now, Final Girl. Who would you say is the original Final Girl? Laurie Strode? Or um, uh, the Marley Burns uh, character? Chainsaw. I mean, if, if you're asking in that point, uh, it would have to be the Texas Chainsaw because it came out first. Yeah. So, um, and it just seemed more fucked up things happened to her to survive. You know, 
Lori got cut in the arm, um, and that was really basically it. That was the only trauma that she had, other than just being you know, scared. As opposed to this chick was like being, you know, like fucked with, like by the whole family. Yeah. Um, you know, she gets put into a sack and poked with a stick. And yeah. So she has like so much more like things that happen to her, and then for her to get away, you know, and then the way she got away, like yeah. Lori's was like it was kind of. I don't want to say it was lackluster, but it was, uh, you know, Dr. Loomis shows up in the nick of time and shoots Michael and he falls off the balcony, you know. And disappears, yeah. Yeah, and disappears. And that's where this, this chick, you know, she gets into the back of a truck and then is basically, like, riding away, uh, knowing that, you know, this guy is not going to be chasing her. He's, he's, like, psychotic or whatnot. Yeah, he can't run. He can't <laughs> run the truck, yeah. Yeah, so... I think I think uh, as a final girl, she would she would be the winner of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. At least that's how I, that's my take on it. Interesting. But that is why this is my number six: the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, number five is The Exorcist, and we we've uh, we've talked about this one quite extensively. <laughs> um, Beating a dead horse. <laughs> not, not not to stab a, a dead horse, but uh, uh, yeah, this one's. Uh, Max Rosado, Ellen Bursting, uh, even uh, an, uh, an MVP for me uh, in the movie would be that, that animatronics doll that turns her head all the way around uh, to, to give us that creepy smile. Um, MVP of the, of the movie. Uh, yeah, again, The Exorcist, number five. English language, uh, Dracula, 1931. Um, <laughs> the English language. The English language one. Uh, <laughs> uh, so with, funny. Um, with Bella Lugosi, obviously. Um, uh, yeah, Bella Lugosi is the, I would say, the prototype. Uh, yeah, for, by, by, by today's standards, quintessential Dracula, the one we understand to be that um, uh, Christopher Lee had to follow and uh, Gary Oldman had to follow everybody was, every, every Dracula we've ever seen in, be it cartoon or a comic book uh, yeah yeah everything the, the look the whole look of the outfit with the cape the and cape the medallion like everything like, yeah Yeah. 
as you would probably say, um, with those, you know, without, you know, dressing sexy. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, the women in, in that, that Dracula, the, the 1958, they're, they're a little bit more sexualized, right? The, that woman that, that comes out at first, the, she's the vampire woman. She, oh, I the one that's asking her. for help? Yeah, yeah, her, like the nightgowns and everything. And even um, I read somewhere that uh, actress uh, Melissa Stribling, who, who plays Mina, uh, the, the blonde Mina, um, when, when, she ate, when she was asked, uh, how am I supposed to approach this? Uh, the scene after she gets turned into a vampire, but we don't know that she gets turned into a vampire. Uh, the director was like, "Just act like you've had like the best sex in the world, and you just came back from that, and that's <laughs> that's how it changed. That's how your character changed, you know." So yeah, so there was a lot of sexual overtones, whereas in, in the 1931, everything was very you know very toned down. It was, it was like 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 Bella said, sexy was like being sexual. Number four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my number three is uh, Night of the Living Dead, the original one. Um, just because it's the original one, you know, um, I love, as you can see from some of these uh, entries, I love uh, black and white movies. Um, this one really is another turn of wrench on, on the zombie, because before, before, um, uh, Romero uh, zombies were like these supernatural sort of creatures, voodoo. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna say it was curses. like a voodoo thing. Yeah, uh, and in this one, um, they don't outright say what the cause of the zombies is, but it's a lot of like post-atomic. Uh, they, they they talk about some sort of uh, radiation that came with like a, a rock that landed or something like this, and they don't know. But there was like a lot of radiation, and, and, and all of a sudden it coincided with the dead coming back to life, trying to like cannibalize uh, human victims and things like that. Uh, they don't outright say it's like an, uh, uh, an atomic thing or whatever, um, but they sort of imply it. But it was like the first time zombies didn't really have like a definitive origin, and that's where we get you know, The Walking Dead and all of the zombie lore that we understand now to be zombie lore. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, a lot of really cool um, acting in here. A lot of good foreshadowing, like especially with the brother yeah. and, uh, and Barbara. Right, right, yeah. yeah. You actually see them as zombie come back and yeah, everybody dies in the movie, so not a very um, uh, not a very happy ending there. Yeah, it had a lot of racial overtones towards the end, too. Oh, yeah. Which is really crazy, you know, like, being a survivor, especially, uh, like, uh, was it Dwayne Jones? Yeah. So, being casted as, uh, not only is he African-American, so he was basically, like, one of the first black uh, actors to have a lead role yeah. in a major motion picture. Um, and, you know, and then to kill him off, and like, at the end, that, that was, like, yeah. so fucked up. Speaks to um, uh, the relations between uh, uh, the societies and like, the cultural differences and things like that. Yeah. So I mean, Romero, he's smart. You know, he, for his writing, you know, he, he understood, you know, yeah, the times and things like that. So he was, you know, 
trying to express those you know, through the film had a lot of different things that he wanted to, to say and you know, this was his medium to do it lots of nuances in his, in his, in his writing yeah even if uh, in his later movies uh, of the Dead Dawn of the Dead um, uh, honorable mention here uh, I really like the uh, Zack Snyder uh, Dawn of the Dead and I know the original is like everybody's baby but some reason that one really got me. I think it's because uh, the zombies in that one are really, really dangerous. They're fast. They're um, they're really uh, they're really beastly. You know. Yeah, yeah. I actually like that remake as well. That was one of my favorites when it came out. I, I think I watched it religiously like over and over. Yeah, yeah. That one was a good one. Um, the zombies in this one uh, they're very slow. They're very clumsy. So they don't really inspire a lot of uh, fear in me. I think uh, their strength is uh, in numbers. That's why, like in The Walking Dead, you see like the hordes and everything. Like, okay, now, now they're pretty uh, menacing. Uh, but Night of the Living Dead is just a classic, and uh, uh, like I said, uh, I, I like all of the callbacks that, that other movies can make out of this one movie. Back to the Draculas, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, 1992, Francis Ford Coppola, and yeah, uh, again, um, uh, another, um, um, uh, uh, I would say more extreme version of the Dracula, more sexualized, uh, again, uh, I really like this Dracula because he really turns into a beast, I like those vampires that, um, uh, that are monsters, you know, um, the romanticized versions are uh, okay, you know, uh, like the Anne Rice vampires. Mm -hmm. uh, but for my money, uh, the monster vampires are the, the ones that really uh, uh, stand out. Um, yeah, I do, I do, I do agree with you on that because, like, you see multiple forms that he takes yeah, throughout exactly. this movie. You know, from a bat to a wolf. To the, the vampire monster itself, um, yeah, he, and the way he conveys himself, like as each one, you know, it's not the same. It's not the same character. You know, he's like transformed into these different beasts, so he acts accordingly to these beasts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that was really well put. Um, again, I go back to Bella. You know, Bella being sexy without being sexual in this one. Uh, Gary Oldman. Uh, encapsulates each one of those uh, personas that you mentioned. Christopher Lee's, on the other hand, he wasn't really like that uh, aristocrat that you see in Bella. Uh, you see, especially in the later films, you see like a more uh, a psychotic, like uh, just like a monster type, type of, uh, uh, of vampire. And, and with Gary Oldman, you see all of the representations in one movie, which is really, really well done. Yeah, you can see the emotion that goes through through everything that he's, he's putting into uh, as each you know transformation uh, from old Dracula to young Dracula, even like the scenes uh, in the the very beginning where he loses his wife, like you can feel the emotion that he's conveying. He is such a good character actor. Yeah, um, he's so underrated. Like he is, he's just you know, everything he's been in. Um, this is far best one of my favorites that he's been. Into it, you know, he, he transforms into that character. Um, you know, it's, it's 
it's really rare to find a really good actor like that. Um, you know, we have a handful out there, but uh, I wish we had more like him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, Gary Oldman is one of those guys that he's famous, but when you see his uh, interpretation of characters, you don't see Gary Oldman. Right? You actually see the character that he wants you to see. And that's really, like you said, that's a sign of good acting. And uh, obviously, Francis Ford Coppola gave him a lot to work with because he goes deep, deep into lore uh, with the uh, the Dracula character, going back to like the whole historical thing with uh, Vlad the Impaler, and uh, he, he really goes into it, right? So um, it really, really colors the uh, the overall lore of the Dracula character. Yeah, very good representation here. Um, my number two. Awesome. More vampires. <laughs> My number one, um, 1922, so 100 years, 101 years now. Uh, but 100 years from your top 10, so number right. one to number 10 yeah. is a 100 year difference. 100 years, exactly, 100 years. That's awesome. Nosferatu uh, by uh, F. W. Murnau, um, starring Max Schreck, uh, which... Apparently that was his real name, and Shrek means terror, so <laughs> pretty cool. Um, Those Germans, I tell you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, and, and you did mention um, uh, Bram Stoker's uh, wife, Florence Balcom, who uh, now if you Google her, she's, the, she's most famous for trying to bring down the Nosferatu, um, yeah. studio, the studios that made Nosferatu. Because, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, they made the movie without her permission. Um, her husband had been dead for about 10 years at, at that point. I think he dies in 1912. And uh, he had made a lot of really bad like business decisions. And uh, some of the rights were kind of like scattered. And she was like trying to like, piece them together. And like a lot of her, the labor later in her life was trying to like bring all of these uh, IPs together so that people weren't, you know, making money off of them without her knowing or whatever. Nosferatu was one of them, and she was, like, beastly about it. Like, she came after them, dude. Yeah, like, from, from what I read, that uh, she, not only when they won the case, like, uh, one of the stipulations was the studio had to burn yeah. every copy of Nosferatu yeah. that was out there. And they did. <laughs> well, I mean... Obviously, they didn't because... Well, yeah, copies had been distributed out, and uh, they were later able to uh, uh, piece it back together, but it wasn't until, like, the 40s or the 50s when they finally did that. Oh, okay. So it took a while. But, yeah, yeah, she... (laughs) she wanted them destroyed. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a classic. One one of the ones that started uh, what they called at the time... uh, German Impressionism, um, Cabin of Dardo Caligari would be another one to mention there. Um, uh, a lot of like really angled shots and uh, a lot of angular uh, sets and things like this. Um, also, I was today years old when I found out that Nosferatu is not just the title, but it's called Nosferatu, a symphony of horror. A symphony of horror, yeah. They meant it to be like, a, it was supposed to be like an overture, like a... Yeah, like a piece of music that had different uh, uh, steps and moments and crescendos and all of that. Yeah, similar to like Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. But for vampires. Yeah, the uh, the original, uh, the, 
the original score was by a man called Heinrich Marscher. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, who played something called uh, Overture der Vampire. So that was the original. Uh, and then later on, uh, it was uh, the music was done by, by a guy named James Bernard, who uh, composed a bunch of songs for it too. But uh, being a silent movie, uh, I like playing my own music. So sometimes I'll put metal, or <laughs> I'll do, I don't know, like Skinny Puppy or something like that. Uh, I was, I was going to say, there's probably like a lot of black metal bands out there that would probably yeah, do exactly. really well with yeah. this movie. Black metal band, or uh, Bauhaus, things of that sort, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Would, would fit pretty well. So I, I, I often put my own soundtrack on it. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really creepy. It, really works the cinematography is uh, <coughs> it's dark it's gloomy and acting is since it's um, it's miming mostly it's, it's very over the top but it really works for the times the facial expressions on the, on the people who get scared when they see him yeah um, and for being a silent film just to have music playing uh, it definitely still keeps your attention because of yeah. how well the acting is yeah absolutely I was really impressed with that yeah, and the, you know they changed the names of the characters and everything, but uh, Count Orlock is a, it's a really cool name. Yeah, and the look of him too. I mean, obviously, they use his look in a lot yeah. of different vampire lore. Um, like that, that TV show I told you about, uh, Kindred. Um, one of the vampires um, were called the Nosferatu. He's a Nosferatu, yeah. Yeah, and his look is exactly like what Max Schreck's look yeah, we, uh, in the movie was. We see him uh, date. Morticia? No, no, not Morticia. Um, oh, and the monsters. And the monsters. We see. <laughs> he was probably my favorite part of that movie. Oh uh, my god. He was kind of funny. Yeah. And uh, like he was Count Orlock, wasn't he? Yeah, he was Count Orlock. <laughs> so uh, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, for me, vampires are these monstrous things, you know. So, so uh, uh, the Enrise uh, vampires, like the very romantic vampires, um, are fine. Um, I draw the line at the Twilight, those, those movies. Yeah, I, I, don't, hate I, don't, those yeah movies. I hate those. I think the, the whole her romanticized version of vampires is just bullshit. No. Uh, I mean, that, that's how I feel. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah no, I'm with you there. Yeah. But yeah, that's why my vampires are, you know, Nosferatu's. Yeah. And, uh, this is why Nosferatu is my number one. Awesome. Yeah, see, I, I said that I was a vampire guy, uh, you know, a couple podcasts back, probably even on the first one, but you've out-vampired me by, because I never, I've seen bits and pieces of this movie and it wasn't until like we were like yeah let's do this top 10 list and I was like cool I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch your movies you watch my movies you know we'll see yeah. you know, what, what's everything's about and when I watched this one I was just like wow you know you won, you one stepped up me on, on this uh, because I've never seen this uh, in its entirety yeah and this is your number one so you know yeah, that, yeah. that's off to you sir Thank you, sir. Uh, and it's only like uh, it's only like an hour long or something, right? Like it's not even that long. Oh, uh, I didn't even look at the time. Um, let's say I'm just gonna, oh. running time says it's somewhere between sixty-three and ninety-four minutes, depending on the version. Depending on the version you get, yeah. Okay. So depending on which one uh, we have, which one did the pirate give us?
it? Yeah. How long has it been? No, I was like from start to finish. I was just like, wow, this is such a good movie. Yeah, it's really. And also, this is the first time that, because uh, in all of the other versions, uh, Dracula, uh, Bram Stoker Dracula, obviously the novel, uh, it's Van Helsing and Jonathan Harker uh, killing the vampire. And this one, they changed it to where Nina is the one that tricks him, basically sacrifices herself to keep him uh, drinking her blood until uh, the daytime, until the sun comes out, and then the sun, the sunlight kills him, right? Um, I think uh, up until then, that wasn't really vampire lore. I think it, it had to be a stick through the heart. And the whole sunlight thing wasn't really a thing until these guys did it. Mm. That's interesting. A little tidbit. Yeah, also that, you know, the hero is... At the end, the hero is the female character. <laughs> yeah. Can't say she's a final girl, but, you know... Right, right. Almost. Almost. Cool. Like a proto proto final girl. Yeah. Like she was setting the uh, stage for it. Yep. She was laying the back the backbones for it. Cool. Well, that yeah, was your so top ten this yeah, time. That was my ten. Awesome. Um, uh, I, I would I would like to add uh, honorable mention. Uh, Young Frankenstein. That was also it, it's it's my eleven. I guess you would say. There you go. Yeah, I like that one. That's funny. Such a good movie. Classic Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks tur turning it up to 11 like always. Yep. Well, cool. Um, as a recap, he has Smile at number 10, Shaun of the Dead at number 9, Horror of Dracula, or at the time it was just called Dracula, uh, number 8, John Carpenter's Halloween, number 7, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre at number 6, the Exorcist at number five. Dracula, 1931, number four. Night of the Living Dead, number three. Bram Stoker's Dracula at number two. And rounding out the 100-year span of his top ten list in the number one spot is Nosferatu. All right. Now we'd like to take uh, this time to thank our unofficial sponsor Liquid Death we have uh, Severed Lime Severed Lime this time yep. I actually like this one a lot um, for the flavors Yeah, um, it's good for cocktails too oh yeah yeah I haven't tried that I want, I want to use it as a mixer Yeah, and that's one of the things I haven't done but yeah uh, Death to Plastic make sure you guys murder your thirst with Liquid Death so here's to you Liquid Death Thousands. I'm not sure exactly how long it takes to break down. It takes long to break down. 
talk to you guys. Uh, also very clever on your artwork and, and your names of your uh, your different uh, cans of, of the waters. Yeah, they mentioned them. Yeah, they're really cool. Uh, and then your, your campaign has been awesome, too. Uh, just watching it, they're funny, uh, very entertaining. So uh, definitely, uh, definitely uh, pick yourself up some Liquid Death. And then if you're out there, Liquid Death, uh, you know, we'd like you to sponsor us. <laughs> Anyways, um, moving on, if you guys uh, enjoy the intro music and outro music, that is by a band named Zeo. You can see uh, all about them on their website at uh, Zeo Online. Um, I have links set up on our website, which is www.thehorrorscene.com. You can find all of our social media here on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, you can listen to the podcast uh, on YouTube and Rumble, and you can now, um, or not now, you can listen to the podcast also on all podcast platforms. The easiest way to get to it is by going to Spotify for podcasters. All the other links uh, for like Apple and, and so and such forth uh, for our podcasts are set up on there. Uh, and if you don't want to do that, uh, you can just go right to the website. Uh, we have last rights page set up so you can listen to it right there and uh, yeah so you have any closing thoughts or comments or anything um we didn't, we didn't talk comics today yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh well, we didn't do it on the last one either I mean, we just kind of just did the uh, top tens and that was it we, we might go back there's a lot of um new movies that have come out. I have I've yet to see Renfield. I've yet to see uh, Evil Dead. I've yet to see... Uh, Scream. Scream 6. I haven't seen uh, the, the, the Pope's Exorcist. Uh, but uh, um, once, once we once we get those under our belt, uh, we'll bring them to the, to, the, to the podcast. Yeah, totally. Alright. And then, uh, future uh, podcasts uh, are probably going to be... Uh, I don't know if we're going to go back to the format where we do news and things like that. I think we're going to talk about directors or maybe writers, uh, horror writers or horror directors next. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, for episode nine. Sounds good. Yeah, we're uh, trying to expand our uh, our horizons and horizons here. Um, giving you guys uh, something different. Doesn't want it. We don't want it to be stagnant or stale. Um, so we're changing it up. And that um, throughout the podcast, so definitely uh, tune in um, if you guys haven't already. Uh, if you're on the YouTube or the Rumble, uh, give us a like and a subscribe. Um, tell everybody uh, that you can under the sun about us. Let them know that you know we're the horror podcast to, to listen to. Last rites. All right, so uh, remember, guys. We want you to uh, stay tuned for our next episode. Um, it'll be a doozy. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> uh, so remember to stay creepy and keep it spooky. From our grave to yours, these have been your last rites. <laughs>